Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire. Yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. For the place in which you're standing is holy ground. He said, also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Now, in this passage of Scripture is a picture of what happens each and every day in the world that you and I are living in. It's a perfect picture of the Lord uh, delivering people out of the oppression and the bondage and the control of the enemy. You know, there's four main characters in this story. First, there's Moses, and he was the shepherd that was pastoring uh, his father-in-law's sheep. And uh, and then in, in Exodus 3, verse 1, it says, Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And then in, in the other uh, character in the story is the angel, which represented the voice of God. And the voice of the angel came to Moses in a burning bush. Uh, here was this bush, got his attention, and then this voice, the, uh, verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. How many of you know that's supernatural? That it's burning, but it's not consumed. And so Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. How many of you know it's good whenever we can tell the Lord, here I am. How many of you have already done that? You've said, Lord, here I am. And then verse 5, he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet. The place which you're standing is holy ground. And then he said to him in verse 6, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses wanted to hide his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was in fear and trembling at the presence of God. The angel's job was to speak to Moses about the mission God had for him. How many of you know God had a mission for Moses? And then the, the third character in the story is the Israelites. And the Israelites were the people of God who were being oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And verse 7 said, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their suffering. How many of you know the Lord knows whenever we're suffering? 
And he gives heed to our cry when we cry out to him. He said, I heard their cry. How many of you know the Lord hears your cry whenever you cry out to him? He's not deaf. He's got perfect hearing. Amen. And then finally, there's Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And and in verse 8, he said, I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. And the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. I come to deliver these people from Pharaoh and his oppressiveness. As the scripture relates, the Israelites were being oppressed and afflicted by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They didn't want them to keep multiplying. They were fearful that they would take over and they were trying to keep them in control. And and so God sees the affliction and he calls on Moses to speak to Pharaoh and to help these people get freed up from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. And this is a perfect picture. In verse 11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And and you know, Moses is basically wondering, who am I that God could use me? He didn't see himself as someone that God could use. How many of you know God can use anybody? Amen? And and here's the point. Pharaoh is a type of the world or a type of of Satan and his oppressiveness in this world. And there are many people today, right now, that are oppressed, that are in darkness, that are in control by the demonic forces of darkness. Amen? And, And Moses is a type of the church. And God is wanting to call us, the church, to be his voice. To help the people that are oppressed be delivered from the oppression of the adversary. Come on, are y'all with me out there? The Lord wants us to be his hands and his feet. He wants us to be the, one, the, the, the tool that is used to bring freedom and deliverance. And so many of us are like Moses, but we're wondering, you know, but who am I that God could use me to do his work? How many of you feel that way or have felt that way? Don't lie in church. How many of you feel that way? Amen. It's not uncommon. But many people today, like Moses, they don't feel like, you know, why would God use me? How could God use me? And, and so there, there's, a lack, there's a lack of confidence in us, the people of God, that God could use us to make a difference in helping somebody get delivered from the power of darkness that they're in out there in the world. But how many of you know the Lord wants to use us? Amen. And so why should you expect God to use you? Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. I think I have three points and three sub points under. So here we go. You know, three, three, three. Amen. Sounds like a like a little song or something. The three reasons to expect God to use you. How many of you want to be used by God? Three reasons to expect that God could use you. Number one, it's God's calling on your life. If you're a Christian, it's your calling. God has called you to be a soul winner. He's called you to be someone that can reach out and reach a hand to somebody that's slipping in the, in the dark pit to help them out of that pit. You know, Mark 1.17, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. How many of you know when you become a Christian, your calling or your vocation in life changes? You don't quit your job, but you got a new job. Amen. You keep working where you're working, but you got a new job at the work where you're working. Amen. And it's a spiritual vocation. The business and calling of the Christian is to win souls to Jesus Christ. 
Come on, do y'all agree with me today? Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to his followers, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. This is known as the Great Commission. How many of you know the Great Commission to reach the world is our mission? It's our mission. You know, somebody said we can either be a worldly Christian or a world-class Christian. You know, worldly Christian is, is a typically a self-centered person, only concerned or interested in their own needs, blessings, and comforts. It's all about them. That's a worldly Christian, a carnal Christian. A world-class Christian, on the other hand, understands their mission is to win others to Christ, and they're eager, excited, and expecting to be used of God to reach souls for Christ. God has called us to be world-class Christians, not worldly Christians. You know, somebody wrote a book a long time ago. The first line on the book is, it's not about you. Come on. Are y'all with me? Hey, it's not about you. And it's not about me, right? It's about him. It's about him. It's all about him. And he's got a mission and he wants... He's got this crazy mindset that he's going to win the world. You know, God's got this, this crazy idea that he's just going to change the world. How many of you believe he's, he's going to get it accomplished? Amen. How's he going to do it? How's he going to do it, saints of God? He's going to do it through his army. You his army. Come on. He called you into his army to change the world. Amen. Come on, it's time for us to get out of the closet. Everybody else is. Come on. Come on, are y'all with me? Everybody else is being bold and brass. Come on, church of God. It's time to rise up. Yes, amen. The second reason you should expect God to use you is you've been equipped to reach people. He gave you, he, gave, he hardwired you to reach people. And in Acts 1 and 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. In other words, he's saying, right where you are, right outside of where you are, right outside of right outside, and everywhere in the world. Amen? Start right there at your house and keep going out. Amen? That's what he's talking about there. And he says, you're going to receive power. That's how you can get goosebumps. Amen? He's not interested in giving us goosebumps. He's interested in winning the world. Amen. The Holy Spirit equips and empowers us to reach people, to be my witnesses. And that's what he says. You know, the empowerment of the Spirit is to, is to equip us to reach the world. You know, first of all, the Holy Spirit gives you boldness to witness. How many of you know that? Gives you boldness. That's why Second uh, Timothy 1.6, Paul told Timothy, that's why I remind you to fan the flames, the Spirit... Uh, fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given you the spirit of fear and timidity, but a power of love and self-discipline. So the Holy Spirit helps us overcome fear of rejection, fear of what people think, and intimidation and boldness to live out the Christian faith. Amen? The Holy Spirit was given to us to break that, to, that spirit of timidity. That makes us worry about how people are going to feel if they find out we are a believer. Amen? And so consequently, we stay under the bushel. We hide our light. And the Lord said, come on, come out. Come out from among them. Amen? And the Holy Spirit helps you to be a Christ-like light to the world. 
In Matthew 5, 14, you are the Lord's light. You are the world's light. A city set on a hill, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light. Let it shine for all. Let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they may praise your heavenly Father. Come on. How many of you know we need light? And whenever you become a Christian, God lights you up. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Amen. Come on, he'll light us up and put us in dark places. So they'll, they'll, the people in darkness will say, there is light right there. Amen. And then the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. How many of you ever been asked by somebody about Christianity? And you're like, uh, can you hold on one minute? Let me make a phone call. But how many of you know the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say? When somebody tries to trip you up and tries to, you know, corner you, the Holy Spirit will just give you the words to say. And that's what Luke 12, 11, Jesus said. And when you're brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the time what needs to be said. Amen. How many of you, have you noticed more boldness and confidence to, to be a witness for the Lord since he became a Christian and a believer? Amen. I mean, topics about Christianity came up before I was a Christian. I just kind of bypassed that conversation. But after I became a Christian, something came over me. I got empowered. Amen. I got more bold. I didn't mind just praying over my food. It didn't matter if my boss liked it or not. Amen. And so, you know, I remember, you know, uh, whenever, whenever I first became a Christian and I didn't, I didn't have no Christian friends. They were all heathens, just like me. And so, you know, I remember a friend asked me to serve in his wedding, and this was not long after I became a Christian. And so, you know, when you do the wedding thing, you got that, that, them parties, you know. You know what I'm talking about? And so we had rehearsal and then the party. And so it's like, oh, how am I going to negotiate this? So my desires have changed. I got a change of heart. I don't want to, I don't want to run with the dogs and have the fleas anymore. Amen. So now how I'm going to negotiate this deal here. And so I tried my best, you know, I tried to be like a chameleon, just kind of blending in. But lo and behold, it, it was revealed that I was different. You know, I wasn't smoking, doping, groping, all that stuff, you know. And so the party went on and everybody was looking at me very funny and just like, you all right? Need some aspirin, some Tylenol? You know, what's, what's the problem? And I remember, man, I'm telling you, I was trembling with fear because of the fact, well, what are they going to, I mean, what am I going to do? I have two options, cave in or stand up and be a light. It's my two options. Jesus had changed my life. I had decided I'm not caving in. I've been down that road. I'm not going there anymore. I'm going to stand up. And so after the party was over, my, my, the, my buddy that was getting married, he, he said, man, I got to talk to you. I said, well, let's talk. What's up, dude? I said, what you mean? Man, you didn't smoke dope. You didn't do any drugs. You didn't drink. You didn't cuss. You didn't chew. You know, what's up? It's like, well... I've uh, been going to church. <laughs> okay, tell me more, you know. And so I can remember just, you know, come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have been there? 
You know, it's the day that you get exposed. You can't be a closet Christian anymore. And you got to come out. Amen. And I remember, man, just saying, man, this is what happened. I just, you know, my life was empty. Went to church. Got saved. I don't want to do those things anymore. I want to serve Jesus. And I'm trying to get off of drugs. Really? Wow, man. And this was, this was awesome whenever he said, that's very honorable. I said, huh? You mean you still want me to serve in your wedding? But you know, the outcome of that was this guy became saved and he's serving God today. Amen. Yeah. But you know, it sounds like a great story, but I'm telling you, I was chicken. Come on, I was chicken. I was trying to hide. I didn't want, to, I didn't want everybody to know I was a Christian. Because I was afraid of what they would say and how they would treat me. But the Holy Spirit will give you power to be witnesses. Amen? And where you don't have strength to do things before, God will give you the strength to do it. It doesn't matter if the presidents don't like it. It don't matter. If the creator and the one who created the president likes you, it's all right. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can I, can I get a witness in here? Come on. Yes, indeed. And so you've been empowered. The third reason you can expect to be used of God is there will be plenty of opportunities to be used. How many of you know several people that are lost? I, I know a lot of them. Would you like me to show you some? <laughs> how, many of you got, how many of you know your own? Amen. How many of you know you got a lot of lost people out there, right? I mean, there's plenty of opportunity. You know, you know sometimes people say, you know, you, I'll ask people that own businesses, how's business? And they'll say, well, man, business is good. Business is not so good. They'll say, well, how's things for you? I say, business is good. How many of you know for a pastor, business is always good? The enemy is always breaking people's lives up and there's always another person to try to win to the Lord. Business is always good. For church, it's never a thing where there's business is not good. Amen. And, and you know, there's all, there's lots of people that need to be reached for Christ. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to look very long to find somebody that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that right, saints of God? In Matthew 9, Jesus said, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Jesus Jesus is basically saying there are more people to reach than there are people to reach them. That's what he's saying, right? There's a shortage of workers to bring in the spiritual harvest. So if you want to be a worker, you can expect to have great opportunities and many opportunities to be used of God. Right? You know, this, he said, pray to the Lord. This is the prayer request of heaven. as for an increase of workers in the harvest field. And so how many of you want to be used of God to reach souls? You know, listen, we're called, we've been equipped, we've got plenty of opportunities. Amen? Now, how does God use us to reach others? There's three ways. There's more, but I'm just going to talk about three. 
But first of all, by giving you the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. How many of you know that everyone has sinned? Right? How many could say today, I have never sinned? Get away from the person that raises there. Because something might, drastic might happen right there. The Bible says all of us have sinned. So every person needs to be reached. It doesn't matter how nicely they dress. All of us have sinned. Every person needs to be saved. Isn't that right? So we need to remember that. But how are they going to get saved unless somebody shares the gospel with them? That's what Romans ten fourteen it says. But how can they call on Him to save them unless they believe in Him? And how can they believe in Him if they've never heard about Him? And how can they hear about Him unless someone tells them? Somebody's got to tell them, amen? And so listen, we can't wait and expect everybody to come to church to be saved. We got to take church to them. We need to take the gospel to them. Are y'all with me? Listen, salt is good in the salt shaker, but he's got to get out of the salt shaker before it starts affecting things around it. Amen. Come on. You know, we're salt of the earth. Church is like the salt shaker, but we got to get out of the salt shaker. if We're going to make a difference and influence our society. Amen. And so listen, we, we got to just, uh, we got to, you know, remember that God wants us to make an influence and, and a be an, uh, uh, a light out there. So let me ask you a question. How many of you can confidently share the gospel with somebody? I mean, you know, if you drove up somewhere and like an accident, somebody was bleeding out and they, you know, they got a little while later and they say, you know, I want to be a Christian. Could you share Christ with them? You know, in, in our society, in the natural realm, we teach CPR, how to save lives, right? The church needs to know spiritual CPR, amen? Why? So we can save lives. Because listen, you know, sometimes, you know, people will come to church after they become a Christian. They need somebody to tell them about the gospel while they're out there, Amen? And so I encourage you to learn how to share the gospel. Learn how to share the gospel if you don't know how. You know, and, and you know, I just kind of, you know, keep it simple. Keep it simple. And, you know, the problem is sin. Everybody's problem is sin. All have sinned and fallen short. The solution is Christ. Right? 1 Timothy 2, 5, God is on one side, all the people on the other side. Christ Jesus himself is man between them to bring them together by giving his life for all mankind. How many of you know Jesus is the solution, right? And then the response is repentance. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. And so listen, I don't mean to be too simplistic here, but if there's one person in here that gets something out of this, it's worth spending the time on. Because you can change somebody's eternity. Everybody's problem is sin. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Right? But there's a remedy. The solution is Jesus Christ. He died so our sins could be forgiven and we could be washed away and we don't have to go to hell. We can go to heaven. That's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the response is repent 
admit you've sinned, that you don't deserve to go to heaven, ask Jesus to forgive you, and you can be saved. Amen? You know, um, how many of you are, are familiar with the steps to peace with God? Are you familiar with that? You know, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, listen, you got to learn this somewhere at some time. And, you know, I, as a pastor, I don't know when's the last time I talked about this. So you could be in church a year. And if you waited on me to teach you, I don't know that you would know. But now you have no more excuse. All right. <laughs> From this day forward, you are equipped, right? But, you know, this is a Billy Graham track, Steps to Peace with God. And it was just a tremendous tool. I've won more people to Christ with this track because it's so simplistic. It's not very theological and people can understand it. In fact, I've used, I've learning the, the uh, steps to peace with God. I've been able to share Christ on the napkin. You know, I draw a cliff. Man is right here. You sin. You don't deserve to, your sin separates you from God. God's over there, you right here. That's why you don't have peace in your life. That's why things are not working out, because you're not connected with God. And you tried to go to church to get to God, but that didn't work. You tried to be a good person, but you can be as good as you can, but you can't be good enough to get to God. Nothing works. You can't think your way over there. You can't behave your way over there. You can't get there. You need some help. The good news, Jesus is your helper. And you just draw a cross in between the two, the two ledges and you just, that's your solution right there. Jesus died so you could be saved. All you got to do is accept the gift of God that comes through salvation, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and you can get connected with God. Are you ready to pray or you want to stay over there? Helpless, empty, lost. Most people, whenever they're in a crisis, how quickly can we pray? Amen? Come on, how many of you got saved when you were in a crisis? Yeah, and so it's really... So listen, we got a bunch of these and they're in the foyer. Just take one, please, and study it and learn it. You know, if you don't know how. But we need to know CPR, how to save a life. And you know what? Maybe one day in a hospital room, you're going to walk into the hospital room, nobody else will be in the room. And God will just burden you and say, you need to pray with them to receive Christ. And their eternity will be changed because you will have learned what to do. You know, they teach the simple steps of CPR so you can remember it. Because when, when you're at, in the heat of the moment, you don't have time to you know, go find your manual. And whenever you're talking about leading people to Christ, we need to keep it simple so we don't have to go looking everywhere or call somebody to help us. Amen? We have the tools that we need to lead somebody to Christ. Amen? How many of you believe that there's a lot of lost people out there in the world and that we desperately have a lot of work to do? And God is calling us, the great army of God, to be His hands and His feet to win the world. Amen? And so, the second way God uses you is through relational friendship evangelism. You know, the most effective way to win people to Christ is through relationships, right? You know, if you do a survey of people in church, how did you come to Christ? Most people will tell you, a friend invited me, a family member invited me, talked to me about Christ. That's how I got saved. That's my story. How about yours? It's a brother that influenced my life, that, that helped me to become a Christian. And so, people are more... Uh, 
are more open to a friend than they are somebody they don't know when it comes to spiritual matters. Isn't that right? And so why does God use relationships? Because people are, are more reluctant to listen to somebody they don't know than somebody they trust. And that's why God uses relationships to win people to Christ. In fact, you know, the people, you know, they have these great big crusades and stuff. Billy Graham, at the end of his ministry, said, you know, I forget the percentage, maybe it's 3%, and it might be too high, of all the people that have responded at Billy Graham crusades went on to serve God. But you know, the, the percentage rate is a lot higher when somebody is invited to church or, or, or finds out about the Lord through a relative or through a friend. You know why? Because the trust level is high and they can be discipled. Amen? And you know, whenever you look in the Gospels, you see that that was, you know, that was the method. In, in John 1, 43... It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and he said to him, come follow me. There was Philip's conversion. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for who? Nathaniel. And he told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. It's like, hey, but we found him. Verse 46 Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel, can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Nathaniel became a Christian. Philip uses relational influence to win Nathaniel to the Lord. And, and you know what? Nathaniel was willing to listen to Philip because he trusted Philip. He, he knew Philip. He knew Philip was a straight shooter. And so he was one. Nathaniel's defense was down because he trusted the guy that was telling him about it. Are y'all with me? How many of you have friends? How many of you have co-workers? How many of you have relatives? We all do, don't we? Levi is another example of relational friendship evangelism. In Luke 5, later as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and he followed him. Verse 29, later Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. And many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. So, you know, Levi was like, you know, he was, he worked for the IRS. And so he invited all his IRS co-workers. He said, hey, come on to my house, man. I'm going to cook a gumbo. Y'all come on over. And then he didn't tell them this. He invited somebody that was an IRS agent. He was an agent of the Lord. His name was Jesus. And he invited Jesus over. And so here are all these, these guys, these tax collectors. The Bible says they were sinners. And so they're, they're hey, what's going on? And here they are, you know, going, carrying on. And Jesus enters in and he sits down and eats with them. And they say, so, uh, so what branch of the IRS you work in? Well, I don't work for the branch of the IRS. I work for God. And he just shared the love of God. I believe they had a revival in that house that day. 
Amen? And see, you, you get the point. Is that, you know, some people, you know, they, they will never, they will maybe never get the opportunity or be bold enough to open up the Bible and share the gospel. But they'll invite people to church all day long. They'll invite people to a church meeting all day long. Amen? In fact, you know, there were some people that got saved Friday night. You know why they got saved? Somebody, somebody did what? You can't win somebody to Christ by inviting them. Can you? Yes, you can. The Bible says, you know, he who wins souls is wise. So they said, look, I'm going to get them to church. They said, hey, we got a ladies night. There's going to be some door prizes. You could win something. Nice. Come on out. And they got them here and they said, okay, Tanya. <laughs> tell, tell them what they're supposed to know. You know, I did my part. I got them here, all right? Come on now. You do your part. And you know what, you know what the conclusion is? People's eternities were changed. People's eternities were changed. Just simply by leveraging your influence by inviting people to church. Relational evangelism is the most effective way to win people to Christ. Amen? The third way God uses us is through compassion and meeting practical needs. Somebody wisely said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so nothing touches the heart like a touch from our heart. And you know, whenever you look at the Gospels and you see what Jesus did, He didn't just teach. He met practical needs. Isn't that right? Is that the Gospel that you read? He extended compassion to them. And they were touched by His compassion and they bought into His Gospel. You know, in Matthew 20, 34, it says, Jesus moved with compassion. He touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and they followed Him. He first showed compassion by helping them and meeting their practical need. And so, you know, what that tells me is that compassion will open the doors for you to meet, to, to, to witness the people and to help win them to Christ. Amen? And so he first showed compassion by helping these people with their practical needs. He healed their eyes and the result was they ended up following him. He, he won people by healing blind eyes. He won people by feeding them. And you know what that tells me? We can win people to Christ by baking. Amen. I mean, somebody would just, you know, you, they might faint at the front door if you knocked on the door and said, hey, I was just thinking about you. Here's a pie. I've never been given a pie in my life. But you know, listen, there are people, there's great stories of people that have won to Christ. A, a new, a, somebody comes in the neighborhood, a new house goes up for sale and it's sold and they just want to go there and meet the neighbor and bring a pie. Next thing you know, Pastor Terry, that planted Family Life Church, you know that his first members of his church were his neighbors. And he just started, you know, this is a great story. He just started the church and uh, he had one couple and him and his family. That's, that's how many members they had in the church. And so he's like, man, I need some people, you know. And so 
this uh, U-Haul pulls up two or two, three doors down from him. And he said, honey, I'm going to go help them unload that U-Haul. Maybe they might come to, you know, come to church. So he went over there and they had a big U-Haul. And so Terry tells the story, you know, he's sweating and he's carrying furniture and, and you know, dishwasher, uh, not dishwasher, washers and dryers and, you know, refrigerators and all that. And so, man, he unloaded the whole thing and now they're having a, cu- a glass of tea. And, uh, and so Terry says, man, so what brought you here to Sugarland?" Land? He said, well, I came here to plant a church. <laughs> and so Terry's like, ugh. Man, why you didn't tell me that before? I helped you unload this whole thing, you know. And so Terry went home like Charlie Brown, you know, with, you know. And so you know, but you know what happened? The pastor that this guy was coming to help another pastor plant a church. The pastor never came. About three weeks later, they talking in the yard, and he says, "Hey, man, have you started that church?" Yeah. You know, of course, Terry told him that was why he was there, was to plant a church. So I think we're going to come to church with you. Do you know that guy became his worship leader for several years? And all he did was just go help him to unload his U-Haul. Come on, are y'all hearing me out there? You know, how many of you know just an act of kindness can win a soul to Christ? Be nice at Walmart. You might win a soul to Christ. Come on, I felt the anointing on that one right there. Amen. Come on now. Paul reached through compassion in 1 Corinthians 9.22. He said, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. You don't have to be a theologian or an evangelist to win people and to reach people for Christ. A heart of compassion is really all we need. Amen? So let me conclude this morning by talking about how do you increase your chances of being used by God? You know, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishermen of men. How many of you know if you put the bait that fish like on your line, you're going to increase the chances of catching fish? How many of you know that? And so, you know, catching, being a fisherman of men, you can increase your chances. And let let me just give you a couple of, just real quick as we close. Three keys to increase your chances is one, begin expecting God to use you. Begin to expect God. Mark 1.17, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishermen of men. God says, I will make you a fisherman of men. In other words, you know, you don't have to go to college for it. He's just going to do it. Amen? He said, if, how many of you know, if God says He will do something, He is going to do it. That's what Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that He should lie, nor a son of man that He should repent. Has He said it, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, will He not make it good? Amen? So expect God to use you. Amen. You know, Christmas time. It's a, you know, people. I mean, for some people, it's a, they mean, they're just having a, a party for a month. But for some people, they're in grief and darkness for a month. I mean, you know, people hate the holidays because there's so much conflict in their life. 
They don't talk to their parents. They don't talk to the in-laws or the outlaws. They don't have friends. And they're very lonely, but the rest of the world is having a party. And they're looking for somebody that they can just talk to. And God places us strategically all over Acadiana so that we can be the compassionate listening person that doesn't say, yeah, man, I would punch them out if they did that to me. No, you're the peacemaker and you say, come on, man, why don't you just forgive them? Show up over there. God will bless you for it. You don't have anywhere to go for Christmas. Come to church with me for Christmas Eve. Just, Just a thought. Amen. So you begin to expect God to use you. Number two, focus on God's abilities instead of your own abilities. You know, Moses in Exodus 3.11, he said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly. God said, certainly, I will be with you. Moses said, who am I that I should go and what will I say? You know what Moses' problem was? The capital I was his problem. His focus was what he could do instead of focusing on what God can do. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Yeah, and so his focus, we need to take the focus off ourselves and get them to God. Hey, listen, consider yourself like a, a PVC pipe. Or a hose, garden hose. All you got to do is let God flow through you. Amen? All you got to just be, be willing to let Him flow through you. You know, the hose has nothing to do with what flows through it. It just allows it to flow through. Amen? Are y'all with me? Okay, and number three, stay closely connected to God. The natural outcome of growth is reproduction. You know, healthy sheep, Produce sheep. Right? And the closer connected you stay to God, you know, people that are kind of half, you know, they're, they're kind of like one foot in, one foot out, they never win people to Christ. You got to put both feet in. Amen? And whenever you, whenever you get in the game, you stay connected with God, you're going to produce fruit. And this is what Jesus said. In John chapter 15 and 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Amen? How many of you want to be used of God? Okay, if you do, stand up. Hopefully everybody will stand. Jesus said, pray for more workers. How many of you willing to be a worker? How many of you willing to be used? I, you know what? Listen, as I stand before you today, with as many people as is in this room right now, I know just you being encouraged a little bit, somebody's eternity is going to change. Amen? Not because we're something special, because that's God. God is working, and He's going to use His army To do His work. Amen? So come on, let's just dedicate ourselves to God right now and just say, Lord, I want to be used of You. I want to be used of You. Wouldn't it be great if God would use every one of us in this room 
to reach one soul. You know, I'm looking over here at Todd and, and Lisa Venable. You know, they just recently lost a loved one. He's in heaven now. You know why? Because they extended compassion to a family member and reached him with the gospel. Amen? Just, just a few weeks ago. Come on, let's ask God. Father, give us, give us a heart for souls. Give us, give us, Lord, Lord, who am I? Who am I? Lord, you can do anything and everything. God, you use a little boy with just a, a lunch. Lord, you used, you used a donkey to do your will. God, you can use anybody and everybody. We don't have to be something special. All we need to be is available and willing. And Lord, today we're here to tell you, God, we're willing to be used of you. Lord, there's a world that is dying, that is in darkness. And Lord God, the enemy is keeping them in Egypt. And Lord, there's a promised land waiting. Lord, I pray, God, use us to reach out to those that are lost and help us, God, to be the great bridge to bring souls into the kingdom of God. Lord, release your anointing. Release your fire. Release your passion. Release your wisdom. Release your grace over this congregation today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, just say, Lord, show me who. Show me who, Lord. Lord, let me not pass up the chance. Speak to me, God. Show me who to invite. Show me who to love on. Show me who to reach out to, God. Lord, let me be a light in my workplace. Let me be a a good testimony, Lord, where I go. Lord, let me be a peacemaker in my family this year. Help me, God, to forgive and forget and to move forward in my family, God. Lord, I might win somebody. Help us today, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray. Lord, we just pray for souls to be one, for lives to be changed, oh God. Lord, help us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus.